author Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Hi, and welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on another episode of the Paul Leslie Hour. This time around, I have an interview with Jeff Pike. In the late 80s and early 90s, Jeff Pike was a singer-songwriter, performer, a great entertainer, playing around Atlanta, and among other artists, he was covering the work of Jimmy Buffett. He got a reputation as the guy that you could go see if you liked Jimmy Buffett music. A lot of people can play Margaritaville and come Monday. Jeff Pike's knowledge of Jimmy Buffett's music is quite vast. He might pull out something like Everlasting Moon or Nobody Speaks to the Captain No More, some of the rarer songs. Anyhow, Jeff Pike and Scott Nickerson and their band A1A were instrumental in being a part of what fed the flames of what was called the Atlanta Parrothead Club. The Atlanta Parrothead Club was the very first Jimmy Buffett fan club in existence. Jimmy Buffett's fans are known as Parrotheads. Some of you know, I'm sure a lot of you do, that the first incarnation of this show was broadcast on Jimmy Buffett's Radio Margaritaville. It was called Time After Island Time. Something else you might want to know about Jeff Pike, when I had a dream of doing a radio show, he is the guy who said, I have a studio. I'll help you. We had a lot of fun together. I've done a few interviews with him. But this one in particular focuses in on Jimmy Buffett and the Atlanta Parrothead Club. Let me know what you think. And Jeff, you'll always be my friend. I love you, buddy. We're here in Atlanta, Georgia, the birthplace of the very first Parrothead Club, the Atlanta Parrothead Club. I'm sitting down with Jeff Pike the front man for A1A, the official and original Jimmy Buffett tribute show. And he's going to talk to us about the early days of the Atlanta Parrothead Club from even before it was called the Atlanta Parrothead Club, the group of music fans that were brought together by the magic of the music. Thank you very much, Jeff Pike. It's my pleasure, Paul. Tell me about the early days when you were playing music and you began to play many Buffett songs. That really goes back to 1978, but I won't go that far back. I think you probably covered that before when I was on Tate. The period in question, I'm guessing, is around 1988 or 89, when the birth of the first Paratide Club came about. So it dates back with me, say, the summer of 1988. I uh, came back from the road of being in a rock and roll band for a few years, and I was getting my solo act back together to play around Atlanta and around the southeast. I was playing lots of different venues, and I would take requests and learn songs. And many, 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 many of those requests were Buffett songs, and more so Buffett songs than I actually had in my repertoire. I would learn those songs, and then I would learn the ones I really enjoyed from the albums that I purchased uh, to learn the songs from. And I had a lot of people start to become interested in me playing Jimmy's music in a little bit different atmosphere than how I do it now or have been doing it for quite some time with A1A. It was just myself. And uh, over the course of about a year, I developed a residency at a club called Pufferbellies in Atlanta, Georgia, and the Checkered Parrot as a solo act. And there was many, many, many people who came to see me just do those songs. And uh, they were much like the Parrotheads of today, happy-go-lucky, fun-loving, community-oriented, just great people. And But we didn't have really an official place to meet or to know what we're called. It was just, let's go see Jeff Pike, play some Buffett music. And that's pretty much what it was like. 
until uh, we found out about the Atlanta Paradise Club through Scott in the summer of 89. What was it about Jimmy Buffett's music that you identified with as an artist? When I first heard Jimmy's music, it was in 1978. I heard the album, You Had to Be There. I'd just really gotten into acoustic music through um, Dan Fogelberg. I'd been a, a rocker most of my life up until that time when I was like 16, 17. And the acoustic side of his music and his songwriting and the fun he seemed to have on stage at the time really attracted me at first to Jimmy Buffett. I heard that album, you had to be there, and it was a, a different experience for me. It was an acoustic-based album, roughly, and uh, he was having a heck of a lot of fun, and he was a great writer besides. So there was entertainment value he was an entertainer and the artistry of writing and a good band and an acoustic guitar. Like I said, I hadn't played in a long time because I was an electric guitar player for most of my, my youth up until that time. Later on, when I got into all of his other albums, his writing is what really attracted me to his music. It was different. It had a different style, a different approach, a different lyrical approach to, to life. I loved his voice. I always loved the way he sang, and uh, that was part of it, I suppose, in a nutshell. When did you first become aware that there was an Atlanta Parrot Head Club? It was the summer of 89, and I wish I could find this guy because he's disappeared off the planet. He was one of the people that came to see me throughout the summer of 88, early 89, when I was getting my act together. His name was Chris Norton. It was a Friday night at Puffer Bellies, and it was totally packed with people there to see me doing the Buffett stuff. And he said, Jeff, come here. I got something I want to show you. And he cut out this little tiny ad that Scott talked about that he had placed in the Creative Loafing magazine. And I wish I still had it. It'd be a great collector's item now. And he said, this guy is starting a Parrothead Club for Buffett people, and I thought you might be interested. I said, oh, that's kind of cool. So I called Scott up to try and get some, um, maybe get some work out of it. And, of course, uh, our, our friendship developed from there, and I joined the club, and that was in the summer of 89. And there was like 20 or 30 people involved in the club at the time. So it was very small. And there was just a bunch of friends who hung out. Like Scott said, we did a lot of things, Colorado community service work, just getting together, having fun, you know, and it was nothing more than that at first. Scott mentioned that the atmosphere of the Atlanta Parrot Head Club then, granted it was 20 years ago, was quite different from what it is today. What did you think about the club? It was great. It was fun. And yes, you, that's a good point. It seems the atmosphere of clubs as they've evolved have been heavily, heavily influenced by Jimmy himself. His whatever he does, whatever he writes, his music, whatever he he says, does, is taken to heart by the Parrotheads, and that's a very big part of a Parrothead club. But the first Parrothead club, we acknowledged that, but it was more of a community, just friendship kind of club. Everybody was just friends. We got together. We listened to Jimmy's music, but it was never taken too serious. Uh, it was just about fun and community work and fellowship, basically, in a good, healthy, healthy manner. It was a good time. It was a great time to be a Parrothead. What is your fondest memory of being around the Atlanta Parrothead Club? The early years of the club, like 88, 89, I'm sorry, 89, 90, 91, 92, when it was still small, little shows like at Aunt Charlie's, we used to play, me and Scott, the parties with the club, uh, when it was small, before it got really big. I mean, I couldn't even narrow it down to one, just so many come to mind. Friends, fellowship, good times, going to the concerts. Tell us about April the 4th. On April the 4th, we're going to be celebrating 20 years of the Atlanta Parrothead Club. 
And for many of those years, they've had anniversary parties and you've been the background music to this. So you've witnessed a lot over these 20 years and it's going to all come to a head on April the 4th. So tell us about that day. First, I can't believe it's been 20 years. It's just when I sit and think about it, I can't believe it's been 20 years since all that happened. And yes, you're right. I was the background and Scott and I were for many, many, many years for all those parties. And of course, there's a lot of different artists now. And we're celebrating that too on the 4th. It's going to have Scott and I together again. We haven't played together in a while. We played in Richmond, I'm sorry, for a reunion show this past August. But it's going to be a little bit more than that. It's going to be he and I going back into time and digging out the old song sheets. And who knows, maybe the old clothes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what if they'll fit? Very doubtful. But um, we're doing a show. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to have uh, Jim Asbell, who is a local Atlanta Parrothead favorite now, doing part of the show, too, as part of the VIP package. Then we're going to have uh, Howard Livingston and Mom Marker 24. And we're going to top it all off with A1A with Nadir Shakur as the headline act. And it's going to be something you're just going to have to see to believe. It's going to be a very, very special evening. I'm really looking forward to it. It's one not to be missed. It certainly is going to be fabulous. I've had the chance to ask a couple people this now, and it's interesting to hear what everyone has to say. Obviously, Jimmy Buffett can't tour forever, or can he? (laughs) But the question I want to ask here. What do you think is going to happen when he eventually sets his guitar aside and stops performing? What do you think is going to happen to the Parrothead Clubs? Like you and Scott, I don't think he'll ever quit. I'm a musician myself. I could never imagine quitting unless I absolutely had to. But I'm sure he'll tone it down to maybe it's a show here and a show there as the years go by and he gets older. But I would like to think that the clubs wouldn't continue without any effect whatsoever. But I'm sure... It may see a little bit of a drop-off, but I think, personally, that they'll continue. I think that it's more of a community service thing now and more of a friendship and fellowship. And and the friends you make along the way, it's even a lifestyle to a lot of people. And while, yes, Jimmy's music is very important to this and to a lot of the Parrotheads, I like to think and believe it'll continue with other drop-back artists. There's a lot of us out there, and big artists like Kenny Chesney who can pick up the flame and take it forward. I think it'll continue. I really do. I have all the faith in it. All right, Jeff Pike, you know the last question. This broadcast is going out all over the world. What do you want to say to everybody that's listening in right now? Besides be at Wild Bill's in Duluth, Georgia, on April the 4th for the biggest show of the year, I would like to say thank you. Thanks to Scott for starting the Paratech Club. Thanks to all the friends and people who enjoyed my music way back then and now. All the people and friends we met along the way, we just got back yesterday from playing for the Sioux Falls Parrothead Club in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and they were a wonderful group of people that I haven't seen in a while, and they reminded me of just how fresh and honest and polite Parrotheads can be. So I want to thank everybody for just being here, and uh, come see us. Thank you very much for the words. I want everybody to check out AtlantaParrotheadClub.org. Get tickets to April the 4th. See Jeff Pike, see Scott Nickerson, and see me. I want to see everybody. It's going to be a great time. Thank you again. Thank you, Paul. A boobopery, a boobopshy, a guinapati laxic babu, to get con, con, dig it, patakuliki, ay, yeah, nakashi, dabaya, the subtle of walky chig along, take on some cap. Top to the leave a decapati chichi up mung goodbye.